as a band leader who has also previously been still, I mean, made a living as a freelancer, mm -hmm. what is the proper etiquette in these situations as a freelance musician, a hired gun, uh, when you whip your phone out, when you are, are taking Instagram stories, when you're, you know, doing this stuff, if you are the hired gun at a session? I think you have to understand what the parameters are that set, like, what is appropriate? Can I share this song? There's a handful of people that I follow on Instagram that are actually friends of mine that it's like, hey, doing a remote session for this person. Check it out. I'm like, uh, there's right. no way you cleared that with them. Like, if I were them, yeah. I'd be kind of pissed. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today was a real treat, is a real treat, I should say. I just recorded this episode and I'm buzzing from it, um, but you're about to listen to this episode. It is with Corey Wong, the incomparable Corey Wong. Um, most people know him as the guitar player from Wolfpack. Wolfpack named one of their songs after Corey Wong when they were inviting him into the band. Uh, he inspired the name of the song, Corey Wong, and featuring the guitarist Corey Wong. Uh, but he's also played uh, in the Late Show band, John Batiste and Stephen Colbert. He is a free. He's been. A, he was a freelancer for many, many years in Nashville. He's currently based and grew up and lives in the Twin Cities. Done the freelancer thing. He's played with Blake Shelton's record. He played on Florida Georgia Line's record. I mean, he's played with a bunch of people on their records, and and they probably don't even know. Uh, that's how the life of freelancing goes. Uh, we had a really great conversation. This is a longer episode than most. I encourage you to spend time with this. Listen to this all the way through. There are so many gems and nuggets in this that you're going to want to hear, especially if you're a freelancer, if you're a session cat, if you're a player or a band leader, honestly. Uh, we talk a lot about the ethics going into leading a band and payment models. And we talk about uh, how to lead sessions and, and the ethics um, and the etiquette around how you should conduct yourself in a session when you're a freelancer and how to lead a session if you're a band leader. Um, he tells some, some stories uh, playing with Wolfpack, uh, and, and how, how those sessions work and um, you know, just, being on both sides of the glass, I, uh, proverbial glass or, or literal glass in, in the studio, I'm, I'm still glowing and buzzing from this. So uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to dig this one. You can find both Corey or myself on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Corey Wong, at Ari Herstand. You can find all of us that make the show at Ari's Take. 
Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and of course, visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. That is where you're going to get all the most up-to-date information that you're going to want in your inbox, Ari'sTake.com. All right. Oh, please like, subscribe. However you're listening to this right now, just just smash that like button, that subscribe, that follow button. Up thumb it if you're listening on YouTube right now. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those really, really help. Subscribe to the show if you're just discovering us now through Corey. Uh, Hi, Corey's fans. Uh, You're amazing. I saw you in the New Deco live stream uh, a few months back what up uh follow the show i think you i think you'll probably dig it there's a a a lot of great episodes Uh, i think this is our maybe our 60th episode or something season two all right let's kick into the show Corey wong welcome to the show what's happening bro what's happening this is uh i so i wore my stripes for you i thought you were gonna wear some stripes uh to be on brand but uh my stripes are vertical they're vertical you're the the horizontal differently yeah I know, yeah, I'm typically I know. horizontal, evenly spaced. Right, right. I didn't have any horizontal striped shirts uh, That's to fine. bring today, but you know, I, I felt like I could come in costume uh, yeah. in some capacity. But um, so you're you're in Minneapolis right now, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm still living in Minneapolis and uh, just you know traveling a lot for work as I do. So have you been traveling a lot lately, or when have things started to open mm. back up? I see you got like a big tour starting in just a few weeks um but have you been well, gigging a months, recently in october couple oh uh, i misread it you have a july date at the at the iowa city jazz festival yeah okay so i'm doing iowa city jazz festival then i'm doing newport jazz festival a couple other things yeah a couple things in the work it's like now that uh it's like oh some restrictions are lifted. Capacities are are lifted. Cats are finally either pulling the trigger on their festivals that they had, like kind of yeah. set to go, and now everybody's kind of figuring stuff out. So there's like things being worked out that I think I'm going to do or not. I mean, your first leg is Europe, which is far behind uh, where we are. Um, uh, how, how is that looking right now? Is just kind of a wait and see deal. Well, the promoters all said, and the all the local promoters, all the agents said, this is the time to put it up on, on sale. We yeah. have faith that it's going to be fine by the time whatever. So yeah. I'm hoping that it, that it happens, obviously. I know it's going <laughs> to, the one thing that's going to be difficult, sorry, I set an alarm because I was mixing something and sometimes, you know, I get uh, just tunnel visioned. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to miss our meeting. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the different countries do as far as restrictions. Mm-hmm. Like, is there going to be specific things that you need to do to get from country to country? Is it going to be too much of a pain to make happen? I heard I about know. this European vaccine passport that they're rolling out. Uh, oh, okay. And that American citizens can get when you're traveling. It's like a phone app kind of deal. Uh, that the EU will honor in all the countries. So who knows? They're, we're still figuring it out here. I mean, we're supposed to, uh, California is lifting, we're going to 100% capacity, uh, I think tomorrow, actually. Oh, really? And, and we're, our cases are super low and things are opening up. And um, yeah, have you played any any shows in the last year with an, with an audience? No. Well, I just yeah. did a couple things with like a very limited you know, mostly they've been streaming things with like, oh, right. 20 people are there. 
sure. in this thousand cap venue or something. Yeah. Know? So yeah. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what. I, I it, yeah. It's all it's all starting to starting to pick up, which is great. Yeah. How are you feeling now? How have how have you been feeling? I'm I'm so curious with someone like you who spends so much time on the road and so much time performing in front of an audience to have been neglected of that for the last year and a half. What has that been like for you? It's been tough because it's a such a source of revenue mm-hmm. for most artists and it's yeah. a way that I can keep my band uh having income because mm-hmm. I can make albums and I can do that sort of thing but you know the way that my band gets paid is that I pay them work for hire for the albums right most of the time pretty much all mm-hmm. the time and that's how they want it you know it's like they yep. want to get paid to do their session work and then mm-hmm. they you know so I'll make residual income off my album so I can make albums write music and still have some income but my band does it like they just get paid for the sessions, you know, because right. most of them, that's just what they want. Yeah. And when I can go play, I myself have a source of income, but also mm-hmm. am able to help provide a source of income for a lot of other people. Right. So that's kind of a bummer that that's just kind of the reality of that thing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I can't keep a band just like on salary or retainer or, you know, whatever. You're not Prince yet. Right. Right. That's correct. That's, and, I, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, for me, I think it's, it's been okay because I've had some time at home to write a lot and record a lot. And that's been okay. really creatively energizing in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I had to very early on just accept that. And just be like, okay, I'm not doing concerts and I'm going to do maybe a couple streaming things, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of noise. So I just kind of wanted to stay away from some of the noise. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of musicians can relate to that. I, you know, when, when everything shut down, uh, Instagram mm-hmm. live streams were just bubbling up at the top and everyone was going live and trying to frantically figure things out. And then as it mm-hmm. settled into place i mean live streaming um became kind of almost a nuisance i would i would say for most musicians it's not fulfilling it's not really fun it's a way that some people were able to earn a little bit of revenue um but you did employ your band in some capacity over the pandemic i want to talk about Corey and the wong notes because uh <laughs> this entire the previous two hours i've been doing nothing but watching the episodes which uh, if you're listening to this right now, pause this and go watch every episode of Corey and the Wong Notes on Corey Wong's YouTube channel. Uh, there, I, I need to hear the. I, I want to. If we spend the next hour just talking about Corey and the Wong Notes, I will be completely satisfied because this is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen from uh, an independent musician. The production value, the writing, the acting, of course, the music, but that goes without saying. And so take me back to the beginning. Where did this come from, Corey the Wong Notes? And then step me through how you were able to do this during the pandemic. Yeah. 
Um, I will answer that in a second, but you opened a loop in my brain that I need to close. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> By okay. saying that uh, live streams a lot of time became a nuisance for musicians, I 100% agree. But I think one of the reasons why they're why it seemed that way, and sometimes even for audiences, is a lot of people just kind of did throw together things and nothing felt really compelling. Mm. Well, I don't, sorry, I, I don't mean to say that. Most things that were streaming events, live mm-hmm. streams, didn't feel really compelling. It felt like, oh, I need to just kind of do something. So I'm just going to kind of set up and not really think about it and do it. And it yep. didn't feel like it had. Act like real care put yeah intentionality didn't feel like it had the same amount of care as somebody would put into an actual live show which to some degree of course but also i think that's why certain things that environment became that and and for Mm. me as even a consumer it got to be where it's like "Ah, just give me something really compelling and i'm down you know yeah so i think for me i didn't really do much at all but Mm -hmm. i think I mean, actually, I literally, I'm way late to the game. I just did a live stream last weekend, but I wanted mm. to do it from a riverboat on a boat because that seemed compelling and cool, you yeah. know? And I have a thing where I have a thing coming up um, at Paisley Park, you know, where mm. it's like something unique and special. And to me, those were the, like, I didn't have those ideas or the availability to do that when COVID was rampant, I guess you would mm. call it. Um, mm-hmm. So now that things are kind of half opened up, I'm able to do things that like, oh, this actually feels pretty cool to me, so I want to do it. Are you charging Anyways. tickets to uh, the Paisley live stream? I will. I'm still figuring out what I'm going to do for that. How I'm, I'm so gonna... yeah. And did you was the previous uh, live stream that you did from the boat was that ticketed? Yes, it was on a platform called Looped. Okay, it was cool. It was, actually, I really liked the platform. I mean, I tuned into your um, the New Deco performance that you did down in Miami. Um, yep. New Deco, they they were also guests on on the show, and that um, felt really compelling because that was something new and unique. And that one, that was one where it's like, yes, I will absolutely do that one. I mean, it's done so well. You have yeah. a, you have this full orchestra there. You're outside on a band shell. You have your band. Uh, and it's multi-cam, it's live edited, you know, it feel, mm-hmm. it felt very live. It felt like we were right there in the performance because yeah. you were acknowledging the fire trucks that were driving by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, right, like that, that was probably the best. Now, I tuned in as a consumer to a bunch of live streams just to see how people were doing it. That was probably the most entertaining live stream uh, because it was done so well, the chat box was there. Yeah, there was a whole conversation happening in the chat box. Uh, people referencing, you know, you attract a lot of music geeks, and so uh, you know, everyone is kind of uh, just geeking out on on various um, parts of the show and your musicians, and and they know your band, and you know, mm-hmm. Johannes Tona was there, and so people were calling him out. I'm like, wow, like this is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> impressive. Um, but yes, I mean. That, but that was a very – that's a very high production. I think what caught a lot of musicians up early on was just like to put on a live stream that is compelling, it takes a lot of – not just a lot of money but just a lot of know-how. Like I – you know, early on the pandemic, I ran the Uncanceled Music Festival um, with a couple of friends of mine and we we put on hundreds of shows in 10 days mm-hmm. and like just that learning curve was extreme and intense and like – you know, it was, I was spending 16 hours every day trying to figure out how all this stuff worked and then training the musicians on it, on how to do it. And I feel like we almost 
finally got a handle on it right now when things are yeah. opening back up and no one wa- well i sure don't want to go to any more live streams personally i'm ready for live music again i want to be like standing next to someone sweaty spilling their beer on me i yeah. miss that <laughs> well yeah and and it it might be I, I I don't when I say compelling I don't necessarily mean high production value I think just okay. high artistic value mm. like I the Wolfpack fan group Wolfpack did their yep. own live from Lonely Town festival and that was super compelling because it had a great concept and there was a yep. lot of people from all around that had a common thing and yep. they all you know most of it was I, yeah like a webcam or something. Yeah. Which it didn't need to be high production. It was high concept and artistic, and it had community mm. value to it. So I don't mean compelling in the sense where I expected, you know, your every musician to have a great sure. setup. I just think something that had more. I, I was just wanting to see more. Um, I don't creativity. know creativity. Yeah, creativity and artistry in something. I it's mean, like okay, we're gonna try something new and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. We don't, we don't have no, to go all the way into that, but yeah. Well, yeah. I, no, I mean, you do bring up a really good point, and I think there's a lot of takeaways from this, and, and I think it is an important point. If you do something differently, you excel a bit quicker, and you attract a bigger audience. I mean, it's it's like what has attracted so many people to Wolfpack early on is that uh, where everyone was putting together these highly produced videos, multi-cam, um, and, and kind of uh, focusing on the sheen and the production value, uh, Jack and Wolfpack went a different way and just did mm-hmm. this super lo-fi, very creative, uh, somewhat kitschy, hilarious lo-fi videos that were single cam. Uh, but it was so creative and done in a way that had such an aesthetic and intentionality that yeah. comes back to that. And it was it was purely artistic. And and it's like created this whole aesthetic based mm-hmm. around that. Um, and so people latched onto it. Sure. And I mean, you've done you've done a, a very similar thing in your own way. And yeah. everything that you put out, it feels very consistent through the lens of Corey Wong, like Corey Wong as a brand and as just kind of this this um i guess it's almost the character cory wong it's like when you put on yeah. the striped shirt you become yeah, the totally. character yeah, cory yeah, yeah. wong absolutely <laughs> um and, and and i think that you know it takes a long time for artists to understand who they are and and how to be consistent you know when we throw around marketing terms like brand or aesthetic or all mm-hmm. that stuff artists eyes start to glaze over it's like i just want to play music man it's just about the music but it's like but it's it's your voice and it's so much it's like what are you saying and who you are it all needs to be communicated in that very uh distinct specific way to make mm-hmm. sense yeah and it, it is about the music but the way that you have to think a lot of people that would say that don't necessarily consider as much or give give the the due consideration for the way that consumers absorb art in mm. today's day and age and mm. are exposed to art in today's day and age and so much of it because there is I don't like to use the word noise because there is so much stuff out there mm-hmm. to get through 
you kind of it, it it really helps to have those other things where it's like yeah i i don't know if the the greatest musician in the world without some sense of what their brand is i mean i don't know like there's there's a way to to break through it but it it would be you'd kind of be an anomaly if you didn't have some sense of your aesthetic or whatever i i don't know yeah i no, think it's just it's yeah. just different now like the way that we yeah. consume things the way that we absorb things the way mm-hmm. that we are exposed to things is very different than just being able to throw on a song right you know like that's pretty rare where somebody's just like gonna all of a sudden hear your song somewhere like right. how are they gonna get to that like is there gonna be a youtube video that gets them there or is it going to be a f- playlist? Is it going mm-hmm. to be like because in that case, then then there is there is um, an argument for that. If it was just on like the music is so incredible, it landed on all these playlists that are curated by people that know exactly what kind of people want this incredible piece of art, and they they might find a fan base, popularity, notoriety, whatever it is they're looking for in that but i i think it's harder nowadays but more times than not uh the artists that don't have a strong sense of self that put out great music Mm -hmm. uh and maybe they get lucky and anointed by the spotify playlist gods and get thrown (laughs) on a bunch of playlists uh oftentimes they're not actually yeah i know right (laughs) it's like i pray to the spotify gods every goddamn night and (laughs) they have not blessed (laughs) me um so you know but 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 we're seeing these artists that do get their songs on the playlist they're Mm -hmm. oftentimes not they're not actually building a fan base they're building streams and listeners who have no idea who they are you know i'll go to see shows of artists who have millions and millions and millions of streams and often sometimes a couple million monthly listeners mm-hmm. and they can't sell 50 tickets to their hometown show yeah. and we're in this really weird place right now in the in in the history of the music industry that's never happened before like yeah you've never gotten a gold record and not been able to sell 50 tickets you know like that dude totally <laughs> well and then they, i mean it's like you know we're in such a phase of trying to figure out vanity metrics versus real world value and mm-hmm. then like what really is a vanity metric what is real world value because a gold record is real world value millions of monthly listeners is real world value but mm-hmm. like the festival market is gonna pay you a thousand dollars for your set mm-hmm. you know or like six hundred dollars to come play this <laughs> right. festival and you're gonna crappy slot but you not crappy, but like a yeah. less than ideal spot, and yet you have more streams than everybody at that festival. It's like it's a it's a tough thing, but also mm-hmm. different fan bases value different things. So, like on the other side of that, an interesting case study on the opposite side that I've noticed is a lot of really popular jam bands, mm-hmm. cats that are pulling in half million dollar. Uh, guarantees for festivals right we'll have less spotify action than i do or you know than than some of the 
just kind of like other mid-level artists that are out there. It's like, oh my gosh, how do you have yeah. no streaming? But their their live value is so high. So of yes. course we see both sides of that. But again, it's what does that fan base cherish? What mm. what are they in for? Like why are why are they? connected to this band and it maybe it is just a live experience or maybe it is the idea of yeah well i just listen to these bootlegs because i don't like to listen to what everybody else in the public has to listen to this band of this band Mm -hmm. so i've got these weird bootleg recordings that don't count as streams Mm -hmm. so i don't know like there's a lot of sides to that too that's a yeah i mean you brought up vanity metrics which i think is really important because this is something that we all battle with because uh, it's kind of like, you know, the definitions of success and Mm -hmm. what does that mean? And it's like, you know, oh, you only have 100,000 Instagram followers or 10,000 Instagram followers. If you were anything, you'd have 100,000. You know, it's these numbers and these metrics. They're Mm -hmm. all vanity. And, And like you said, it's like we like to make snap judgments on uh people's levels of success and that's just as an industry you know i've 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 literally talked to talent buyers who will say oh i won't put them on this free showcase of los angeles talent if uh if they don't have at least fifty thousand spotify streams or monthly listeners i'm like what like Mm. but you just said like they're, you love them and and you love this music and and that's yeah. an unfortunate thing um is kind of where we're at and and yes like it's it's what is the value of what you're doing and, and bringing in and yes the, in the jam world and a lot of artists build it up live and their fan base will buy tickets and they're probably making a lot more revenue at the end of the day totally. uh, real world value real world money yeah. than these artists that have millions of instagram followers and you know hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. monthly listeners and, and all of that and so it's like at the end of the day what are you like what are you really focusing on and what do we really care about yeah that's what every artist needs to decide for themselves mm-hmm. and i think for many of us we're trying to do have all of it or some mm-hmm. balance of all of it right like that's really the win and um also like an accurate representation of all of it you know like not having like nowadays i i actually have a friend where i i called him out i was like dude you have bots don't you yeah <laughs> he's like what what are you talking about yeah i was like i see your instagram i see your numbers and it doesn't add up I see some of the comments on your posts and it doesn't add up. I just want you to know that every time I see a questionable comment uh-huh. and I'm thinking, is that a bot? Of course it's a bot. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Like, get rid yeah. of that. So that to me, like, that's my, I, I, maybe some people would have a different philosophy. And that one, uh, I think it was HBO, the fake famous. I saw that. That, yeah. that was pretty interesting to watch. But yeah. anyways, like that's, Okay, whatever. Uh, I thought that was actually really cool to watch. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting to see the different people's reactions to it as well. The yeah, and, the and just for listeners, subjects. it's they take uh, three people who are wannabe influencers and they kind of uh, they audition them and then they they follow these three younger twenty somethings around as they turn them into influencers. And but yeah. a lot of it was buying followers, buying likes, buying comments. Yeah. to kind of uh, trick the algorithm and to trick people into thinking that 
they are more famous than they actually are, but they also tricked brands. And that's the most fucked up thing about the whole thing was that people actually sent them products. They got free vacations and free trips places because they had hundreds of thousands of fake bot followers. Yeah. But then it's like you take that a little bit further. It's like, okay, if you just are trying to get uh, free vacations and free product, then if that's your end game, okay, this is a way to do it. Buy all yeah. these fake bots. But in music, what and I, I always try to remind people, it's like, and ask them, what is your end game? Yeah. Your end game, I'm assuming, is not free product or free vacations. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a music career. Yeah, it's like a, a sustainable career. music career. Yeah. Right. So I like that you called them out. And and <laughs> I've started after I watched oh, I'm that not, and learned. I'm not afraid to do it now. Any <laughs> any of my friends that I that I even remotely suspect, I'll just ask yeah. and I'll get their response. And then that immediately, like I'll just I'll cold I'll cold call them out on it. Just to yeah. see, you know, yeah. because I, I just think that's I mean, just it's not good practice. It doesn't seem ethical um, for what we're doing. Well, it, but anyways. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah I, I I agree. Um so okay. So we can I, go back to that. We closed whatever I, I wanna, loop, and then we let's, went. Let's in. close the loop, and uh, we could go down that path for a little longer. But I, I do want to. I want to. I'm so curious about Corey and the Wong notes. Yeah. Uh, step me through that whole process. Okay. So years ago, I had a concept for a variety show, mm-hmm. and I've always thought like a lot of people. I, part of my natural. I've been a music director for a lot of bands. I've been a music director for a lot of. Like, uh, variety. Like, um, I guess you played on the show. Voice, like, and you played on uh, yeah, and like you, things you where it's like, hey, we have six yeah. artists doing a, a show, and we need a house band to be the music, and we need mm. a music director yep. to learn all these, you know. And and I've done that a bunch, and whatever. So, um, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was a variety show that's like the Late Show meets SNL if the musicians took over. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I had the idea. I didn't I I had the idea, but I didn't really have the full vision for it. I guess that's some vision right there. And then I really I came up with a full pitch. I came up with some ideas, scripts, outlines, episode themes. Uh-huh. Here's how here's what I think it will cost. Here's what I think I can bring to the table. Here's the value that I think it has. Blah, blah, blah. This and that. I pitched it to a bunch of people. Companies, platforms, whatever. Basically, not res- not one of them responded. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to do it myself. And um, like, yes, it was expensive. But also, to me, I, I thought of it as, okay, here's my album budget. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend I also have a music video budget. Mm-hmm. And I combine those two together, plus some more, yeah. because it's a little bit the scope is higher, and that's basically what I built for my budget of it. And um, and tell me, can I just you reveal that? Can you tell me how much the budget was for the Corey and the Wong Note series, the episode series? It was around a hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah, that seems. Uh, I was. I was actually guess, anticipating a lot more than that. Well, um, I did a lot of editing. I did a lot of writing. Oh, wow. I mean, I did a lot of the editing, writing, mixing. Mm-hmm. I. I mean, producing. You know, yeah. I did yeah. all the pre-production. Of course, I did hire people for some of those positions, but also a lot of my friends like understood what I was trying to do and what my vision was for it. So. Mm-hmm. 
it's not like it was the most insane rates either. You know, I was getting bro deals from a lot of yeah. my friends and I feel like I paid people a respectable amount, but like mm-hmm. their friend deal. Right. Sure. And that adds up a lot, mm-hmm. of course. And, you know, I stayed and slept on the couch at Patar's house for, you know, a week and whatever. So, you know, like I'm okay hustling. Like I'm a worker. Yeah. I will edit the entire thing myself if I have to. I'll mix the whole thing myself if I have to. Wow. Fortunately, I had, you know, people to help with a lot of that. There's a mm-hmm. great team. They're incredible. Ben yeah. Katie, the director, really helped, um, you know, put a team together as well on the video side. And yeah, like where'd we, you do it all? Where'd you shoot it? Uh, all the stuff on set was done in Nashville. Oh, okay. And the stuff, and then uh, some of the sketches were done there. And then some sketches were done in LA. So we had a lot of COVID protocol we had to go through. It was like yeah. right when the NBA started doing their bubble thing and showing mm-hmm. like, hey, this works. So we did a bunch of testing, pretty much masked up the whole time until the take, you know, mm-hmm. for those mm-hmm. that could. The crew was wearing masks the whole time. And, you know, we did it in August 2020. Okay. So um, you- it was... Yeah, it was supposed to be in March. Then we pushed it to April and pushed it to June. Huh. Screw it. Let's wait. Let's just cancel it or postpone yeah. indefinitely. And then finally we said, okay, let's. is everybody down if we do it this way? Mm-hmm. And um, it worked out. And um, yeah, it was great. So yeah, it was, it was a huge undertaking. But also it was, I was so driven by this vision and beyond just the fact that it was my album budget and my music video budget and mm-hmm. whatever extra, like, I, I'm a save, like, I live a really modest lifestyle. So, mm-hmm. you know, I drive a 2007 minivan mm-hmm. and, <laughs> you know, so like, I, I, I will invest in my creative endeavors as a form of artistic expression way easier than I will way easier than i'll buy a nice car like i don't need a nice car you know but also i know that these are assets that i'm creating the Mm -hmm. half generation this is a side sidebar the half generation and generation above you and i the way that they created assets for themselves or long-term investments beyond the markets and whatever is that they would buy real estate and then okay like the one of the ways that people create wealth for themselves is they'll buy a piece of real estate wait five years, do a cash out refinance, then use that money to buy a new house. And then they'll wait five years and then do a cash out refinance on that house and then purchase another house, you know, use that money for a down payment on another house. And then they just build equity in, in real estate investments for us as artists, we can create real estate out of nowhere. Explain that. Well, intellectual property. We can, we can create these investments. Sure. These things that, that will hold some level of value, of course, not guaranteed value like physical, like I, that my neighbor's house is worth mm-hmm. more than my album, that's for sure. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, over the course of several years, if you can create these little condos of albums, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it can be this thing that you you continue to invest in your own career. And if your career continues to to blossom and grow it can be things that 
uh, turn into a, a large catalog that has mm. some value that either will continue to make you money over the course of several years, or you could sell it to somebody who's looking to buy a catalog, which I have artist friends that have done that, where they've sold their catalog for you mean like on like a, the royalty exchange or yeah or well sound not, not well, on, on, a, on a same concept like yeah. you know on an eight to eight to depending on what we're talking about eight to twelve x multiplier of the yearly value mm-hmm. the average yearly value of the last three years of that royalty stream or whatever hmm. and you know where it's projected to go but sure yeah for me making the Corey and the Wong notes project was all of that stuff in one, but it's also to me, I was trying to think long-term. Okay. I, I, what if I do want to actually have my own show? Like, okay. I pitched the show to a bunch of people. Nobody was interested. Hmm. And now I at least have a proof of concept. So it's like, okay, here's the first season of the show. I did really short episodes just because, it would like cost 10 to way 15 more. minutes there. Yeah. 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 And honestly, well, I'll tell you transparently, I just filmed a second season and the, the episodes are going to be way longer, but mostly nice. because I'm going to do probably two songs per episode and I'm going to let okay. the interviews be longer. Like I, okay. that's one thing that I really wish I would have done uh, more in the first season. It's just had the interviews go longer. Like that mm-hmm. to me is, um, yeah. I mean, it I, feels I, very much like a sketch comedy show. Even the interview portions. Sure. Uh, I mean, Some episode are, one yeah, yeah. with, yeah, with Cody, it seemed like that was pretty much scripted. It was almost yeah. like a bit you guys were doing. Yeah. Um, but then when you did the episode with uh, the percussionist, tell me her name again. Nega Santos. Nega Santos. That seemed like a real interview. Like she was actually yeah. breaking stuff down, but the yeah. way that you kind of added your own like wongy shtick in there is you kind of yeah. had these like uh you were explaining what she was talking about visually on the screen through these uh various uh like like beat pentameter-y notation. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah notation i suppose yeah. right um and so that was fun and so that <laughs> um done very differently than any talk show or sketch show, or variety show, and yeah, I, I, it's it's very much geared towards musicians, and and all of the, uh, or a lot of the jokes most yeah. only musicians really get, and I think yeah. it's hilarious. Um, I mean, I love the you 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 touch on this a few times. You do this little sketch, the uh, instruments that don't that never caught on, yeah, and uh, you know, like for the first episode, or the first time you do it, you're like, yeah, it's like the smacksophone, and it's a saxophone with a little hand that's smacking her while she's playing it, like never caught on, or like the plastic bagpipes, and it's just squeaking, and it's yeah. like, and the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying. Got to throw a little, got to throw the trombone players under the bus. So, so tell me about the musicians in, in this thing, because you have some of the horn heads. Michael Nelson is yep. part of the horn heads, right? Yep. Yep. He is OG. the leader of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the horn yep. ranger. Yep. So yeah, with that also, it's like, I wanted to have a large band and I had mm-hmm. a vision for, you know, because all my other sessions and like the Wolfpack sessions, fearless flyer sessions, we record everything in the room, camera in the room. Yep. You just capture it all at once. Mm-hmm. You just kind of can't do that. Like do the recording and then mime it later. That just doesn't right. work. Right. And with this, I was thinking, you know, like you're saying, Wolfpack, it was great that Jack kind of had a vision for going the opposite of of what a lot of people did, which was the slick mm-hmm. multi-camera thing and that. And then I, I did a, a similar thing where I would do everything mm-hmm. just iPhone in the room. 
And now I did want to just kind of swing the pendulum over. So we did it all on set. We recorded the album on set. I wanted to do a full live band, five-piece rhythm section. Mm -hmm. So uh, Pitar, Janich, Sonny T, Mm -hmm. Kevin G. So just background, Sonny T, didn't he teach Prince how to play guitar back in the day? (laughs) I used to see Sonny T play with a combo uh, before your time uh, with the combo. But yeah, I would see Sonny T play there. And and yeah, I know he taught Prince guitar, but he's a bass player and a guitar player, obviously. Um, and so, yeah, his history hey, is insane that we could go an yeah. hour on. Like Sonny, right, right. you know, he's played with everybody from Prince, Nick Jonas, mm-hmm. Shaka Khan, yeah, uh, James Brown. You know, like uh, uh, all these ins- Like uh, yeah. Anyways, so Sonny's one of my absolute heroes. So him playing bass on it. Um, mm-hmm. My friend Nega Santos. I met her from playing with John Batiste on the Late Show. On the late She's show. on the Late yeah, Show. Yeah. She's a percussionist there. Kevin Gastongwe, he and I went to college together. So he's mm. he and I have been playing together literally since the first day of college. Hmm. Um, half the horn section is the horn heads. Steve Strand on trumpet one, Kenny Holman on sax, Michael Nelson on trombone and arrangements. Mm-hmm. My friend Sam Greenfield played Barry sax and bass clarinet, kind of doubled up there. Mm-hmm. Eddie Barbash, I met him also through the late show alto sax and john lampley i met him through the late show playing second trumpet so um yeah it's fun to have the six-piece horns five-piece rhythm section doing it all live in the room everybody's on edge at all times every take everybody's like i don't want to be the one to mess this up (laughs) you know because there's 11 of us yeah and there's the camera team the camera team doesn't want to mess up the lighting director doesn't want to mess up the band doesn't want to mess up so Mm. everybody's on a certain level of of focus that you don't get when it's just, ah, eh, we're doing a session at the studio all week. And, right. Uh, it's, it's, Can oh, I yeah, overdub that one line? I think yeah. it was like second chorus. I, I fracked a note. Let me just like p- yeah. punch me in. You don't yeah, get yeah, that. Right, right. You don't get right. that. <laughs> right. How many takes did you do for each song? Uh, at most, well, on average, it was two or three. Okay. I normally used take two or three from mm-hmm. everything. Uh, there was the song that we did with Antoine. We just did one take. Wow. And wow. it was just like, well, that was it. <laughs> it's pretty rare. That's pretty rare when everybody is like, yes. Sometimes, yeah. like most of the time, the rhythm section will be like, oh my gosh, that was insane. And the horn player's like, yeah, but this one section, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Right. Or the, the the horn section will be like, that was the best thing ever. And I'm like, I don't know. Was it? And it's like, okay, well, yeah, fine. Let's just use that take. I'm did okay you do any my... overdubs? No. Well, there was a couple spots where we did some background vocals. Okay. Where I added a couple background vocal things. Because um, that, to me, Spotify took precedent mm-hmm, over, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so this was, this was more a concept of you want to make a variety show. Was it always going to be around an album? I knew in order for me to do it the way that if I was self-funding, it mm-hmm. absolutely would have to. And it probably yeah. should, because it's also just a fun way to promote an album. It's like I made an right. album, but I p- built a show in order to promote the album. Mm-hmm. So it's just mm-hmm. another way to build buzz, like trying to find creative ways. You know, I'm somebody who has, I guess, a fair amount of creative output. So mm-hmm. the one thing, I, I totally oversaturate the average Corey Wong listener. You know, like I oversaturate <laughs> the, 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 yeah, just the 
the average Corey Wong fan. But I, in order for me to try to try to balance that out, it's like, well, what can I do that's compelling to make people really pay attention to this release, even for the average or not average person yeah. who's not necessarily interested? What can I do to get their attention? Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. I mean, the constant uh, stream of content that you released through the pandemic, especially early on with the videos that you were were just continually, continually pumping out. I remember mm-hmm. seeing a, a, a YouTube comment uh, of somebody expressing expressing her appreciation that you kept putting music out when everyone else was shell-shocked by the whole situation like thank yeah. you for continuing to release music and for like giving me something during this mm. when there is nothing for all of us right now and yeah. so I, I think a lot of your fans do appreciate that um but it takes a lot of work and a lot of energy and i mean just just doing the music itself is a lot, but the fact that you have so much content and I mean, with this variety show, with, with the Wong notes, it, you know, I, I, it makes sense because you could, you cut it all up and you popped a few of the sketches on your IGTV. You're able to put sure. some of the sketches yeah, standalone, yeah. some of the, you know, the songs obviously are uh, going to Spotify. So it was like, you kind of batched a whole year's worth of content more or less yeah. into this the session so that was a nice way to bang it all out but do you have a content calendar do you have a schedule where it's like okay i want to do this this and this i need to do igtvs youtube videos reels music let's get this out schedule it out i personally well first off thank you um I personally don't. I, it's all based on projects that I'm working on or things that I'm interested in doing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's based around an album and an album cycle. Okay. You know, in a similar way where people would go five years ago, say, or 10 years ago, write the album, record the album, release the album, tour in support of the album, 
mm-hmm. push some radio, do radio promo, some social media promo, whatever. You know, that's part of the album cycle. For me, right. I visualize part of the album cycle being the social media that's happening around that time. Maybe sometimes doing a few things to grease the algorithm before mm-hmm. I put out an album. But also I don't I don't love just constant like check out my album. Yeah. Cause I think I, I may be a little more I'm a little more self conscious that like ah, I don't wanna I don't want to overdo it for my fans. I don't want to keep asking them to buy stuff. Like I don't want mm-hmm. to feel like they're constantly being sold something. Yeah. So I the only time that I really build in that sort of thing is just like, okay, I'm going to be putting out an album soon. So I'm going to have a single and then another single and then the album and then some stuff doing that. So in between some of those things, I'll put out something that's just me playing guitar or something mm-hmm. where there is no call to action. There's no, res- mm-hmm. there's no ask involved. Mm-hmm. It's just something, you know, that I think they might want to see like, People follow my page probably because of one of these three or four reasons. Let me just Mm. give them something with no responsibility attached to them, no call to action, (laughs) just something that might be a bullseye of what they're looking for on why they follow me. So that's the only time that I really schedule anything, but I don't, like, I don't, I just do it when I feel the energy to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I would. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, your IGTVs, that almost standalone, I mean, I was, and, and the way that Instagram does it now, where you can just watch a thing and it just plays the next one, like, I I would just, just kept on going with, and it and it seems people really love these. I mean, some of these are getting a, quite a significant number of views. I mean, have you trained your ears lately video, 75,000 views, and that's <laughs> hilariously, I mean, you know. Uh, a guy who who uh, got caught at the office uh, printing tabs <laughs> or, or copying tabs on the office printer, and they're they're uh, chastising him for that. Um, and then like Judge Corey, all of that. Um, and so these aren't even musical performances; these are all the sketches from sure. the Wong notes um, and other things here. Um, and so, I mean, you have very little music actually on the IGTV. So step me through. Just kind of the, the the process behind how you figure out what content is going where. Well, that's unintentional on the IGTV side. IGTV okay. just is basically anything that's over a minute long that's on mm-hmm. Instagram to me. So I try to keep everything 59 seconds or less on Instagram. Because mm. also I just don't get a lot of action on Instagram TV compared to just regular Instagram posts. I don't know if there's an algorithm thing there but Mm -hmm. i know the number of views on igtv videos and the engagement on igtv is way lower than just regular posts Mm. so with that it's literally just like those videos needed to be more than a minute in order to paint the entire picture for that where it's Mm -hmm. like oh the guitar videos I, i can paint the picture in less than a minute yep you know and if you want more of it like listen to my record um or check out the YouTube video. So for me, that's kind of my only thought with that. Um, mm. As far it's as... Interesting. T- go yeah, ahead. Going, I was going to ask you exactly that. You were about to say TikTok. Uh, yeah, as far as that, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of a fun, silly platform. And um, 
it's a different pay. The app is paced differently. People, ex- mm-hmm. the, your voice needs to be different on TikTok. Your voice needs mm-hmm. to be different on all of the social media platforms, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. people interact differently on those. The pace of those apps is different. The the way people mm-hmm. interact, the 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 general demeanor of people in the room, and by the room I mean those apps. Mm-hmm. It's different, and to me, like I there's I oh yeah I was messing around on TikTok for a couple weeks and then I posted on there a handful of times and mm-hmm. I got some action on there and then I was like, oh, I'm busy recording my album so I'm not right. posting on there. And, you know, people around me are like, dude, you're, you're recording your album. Like, you got to be doing this. It's like, yeah, well, I, <laughs> even people in the band, it's like, you were thinking about your TikTok. I was thinking about making the album. Right. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I needed right. the I needed a certain level of focus to make the album. Yeah. And I'm thinking about a lot more things than the drum take. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not not to single out the drummer or anything, but I <laughs> what I'm saying is like there I will do it when I feel energized to do it and yeah. I'm not keeping up with the pace of the app and mm-hmm. I'm not smashing it on TikTok where I probably in some ways like could be smashing a lot more if I kept up even just Literally on pace alone, right? Somebody can like if you know what people are following you for, and you stick with the the natural flow of traffic on the app, it's you're bound to grow. Like I should probably mm-hmm. pay, play, uh, post more literally on every platform, but I I just again well, I don't think like I have something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think why? I have something something compelling to say every yeah. day on Instagram. And that's uh, there's this. Uh, quote ironically uh dan wilson tweeted uh years back he's like how many great songs have we lost because the songwriter decided to tweet their inspiration instead Mm. of channel it into a song i'm paraphrasing but it's that idea of Mm. just like if we harness that elusive magical inspiration uh not even just just minutes in the day but we're talking like the magic when that hits yeah. or that comes or is funneled or you're in the in the groove uh and you take to tiktok or you take to twitter instead of taking to the studio or to the record or to the song uh you know it's it's going to change uh your trajectory but also you'll it it may actually diminish Mm-hmm. what your creative output that's that's um that's long lasting could be uh because tiktok instagram this, this is all fleeting that's not yeah. like you know you could get a tiktok that gets a mil- millions of views and people do this every day and it, and it comes and goes and that's fleeting it's like okay and then what but if you make a song that, that'll live on for generations. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are your real intentions of doing all of this? Yeah, and like you asked earlier, what's your end game? You know, yeah. I think people... And, and those things aren't mutually exclusive either. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can definitely have those things, but I think it's understanding when is the right time. Like, I, I sometimes get frustrated... Um with people in the band that might be paying more attention to like, Oh, let me get this good video yeah. in this moment. Where I'm like, dude, there's literally like 
cameras everywhere. They're filming everything right. that we're doing. Right. There's going to be a good video. Right. <laughs> but also, like, I, I'm, I'm not upset because everybody's, like, got their, like, it's not for it's not distract it's not distracting um them enough where it's going to prevent them to do their job but if i were doing it it would distract me enough to do my job and well, that's not to say that i have you. well it, I, to a certain extent but i yeah. i i'm not distract only when it is somebody like getting in my face oh like let's you know oh what yeah. are you doing on this i'm like dude i'm just i i got to think through this thing yeah, like yeah. i i I'm thinking about how, which camera angle to start, how to how to reveal who's in what part of what shot, and I have to play my guitar in time and in tune and in the pocket mm-hmm. and remember all the songs. Right. And I'm thinking about how the arrangement works together, how the rhythm section coincides with the horn section, and be the producer and the guitar player at the same time. You know, so some, if something is distracting me, it really distracts me because yeah. it distracts like all four or five positions that I'm holding at the time. Mm. Um, but I, it's also okay. Like some people, they're, they're going to crush the take every time. And they, it, it's not actually as big of a distraction as, as it would be if I were doing it, you know? And that's okay. Mm. Like, and also some people's ability to just turn it on and turn it off is different. I feel like I have a pretty good sense of being able to do that but in certain senses or it's excuse me in certain situations i just can't have that distraction like most of my friends and family were pissed at me a week and a half ago when i was filming cory and the wong notes season two i just didn't have my phone with me at all mm. during mm. the day like literally mm. at all the, the the phone was on the other end of the room and I got to the to to the place at eight a.m. <laughs> and I left at seven p.m. and I mm-hmm. didn't touch my phone, you know. So it's like, yeah, I didn't text you back. Yeah, I'm sorry, but like, right. I, I just I needed to be in this headspace. And then afterwards, I was thinking about all the stuff. So it's like I ended up with a pile of unread messages and yeah. you know, and and whatever. Like that's that's part of the deal. And um, sure, I could make like an out of office. <laughs> auto reply but <laughs> I, I don't have i've actually never done that but yeah. i don't know um yeah well, there's, I, there's a there's just a balance and everybody's different on what they can what they can do to keep up with to stay energized and not get jaded on it and also not to distract them from what their real artistic pursuit and vision is it's different for everybody totally so as a band leader who has also previously been still, I mean, made a living as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. What is the proper etiquette in these situations as a freelance musician, a hired gun, uh, when you whip your phone out, when you are are taking Instagram stories, when you're you know doing this stuff, if you are the hired gun at a session? I think... You have to understand what the parameters are that set, like, what is appropriate. Can I share this song? There's a handful of people that I follow on Instagram that are actually friends of mine that it's like, hey, doing a remote session for this person. Check it out. I'm like, Uh, there's no way you cleared that with them. Like, if I were them, I'd be kind of pissed. Yeah. You know, so for me, the first season of the Corey and the Wong Notes, I said, nobody post a thing. Take all the videos you want, pictures you want. Wait till it's out. I want it Mm. to be a huge surprise when it happens this time around i said new season i don't care post whatever you want Mm. 
guests that are going to be on it post from the studio. I, I honestly don't care. So uh. I, I set that that parameter on the previous season and the freedom this next season or mm-hmm. this this one that we just shot. Mm-hmm. And I, I just tried to make sure that communication was clear. I, I think the expectation is, yeah, don't reveal any like songs that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Don't give away any spoilers on on hearing the music. Or just follow the follow the leader. Like if yeah. the leader is posting this sort of clip from this sort of thing, okay, well then that might be appropriate for you to do. But if the mm-hmm. leader is not posting clips of their new songs, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. You know, that's my thought. Like if I'm playing for somebody else's, if I'm doing a session for somebody, I'm super stoked about it. Yeah. Maybe I'll just post a picture from the session. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, whatever. In the studio with John Batiste and John Bellion, we're having a blast. You know, and that's what I did. Yeah. I felt like that was appropriate because they had also posted pictures from the studio. No videos, mm-hmm. no spoilers, whatever. Just like we're hanging out in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my band, yeah, it's fine. And just like don't do something where it's distracting in the moment when we're actually doing something that matters. Mm-hmm. Like if we're just sound checking or we're messing around, tuning up or, you know, in between like, okay, we got this song done. Now we're just kind of setting up and reblocking for the next tune. People are kind of messing around. Yeah. That seems like an appropriate time to be able to do something or whatever, but don't play something super loud and disruptive. Like when other people are working Mm-hmm. sort of thing or like trying <laughs> that's to figure the, that, something it's out like that kind of it's the etiquette it's the freelancer etiquette it's like yeah, yeah if you're the drummer or you're the guitarist it's like you don't you shouldn't be ripping when you're kind of getting set up and people are trying to you know get the sounds for the other instruments or or whatever it's just you yeah. kind of inherently get to know that etiquette but i think we're in this new era of social media and like personally as a band leader as well when i'm leading a band and i'm in studio or something i mean that I, I like that you lay the expectations out, sure. uh, but it like it frustrates the hell out of me. But that's a pet peeve of mine that I don't. Uh, I I feel like if you're taking your in, you know stories, Instagram stories, uh, while we're in studio and we're in between takes, like you're not focusing on what the next take is going to be, or you're not focusing on that riff you missed in bar thirty two, or you're not you know, and it's like you're out of that and. And it's like, that's why I like turning most notifications off because yeah. if you're focused on working on a project and you keep getting yanked in every which direction, you're going to just, you lose your focus and and it takes, it takes a, a few beats to get back into it. And so yeah. if we're in it together and we're starting to, to flow and you break that flow by whipping out your phone and doing whatever, I mean, if you're, if you're hired for that session, like that's... That is frustrating, and I I would caution any musician out there just to like yeah like you said follow the leader, but also I don't know maybe ask the leader as well totally. like yeah, yeah, yeah. right <laughs> totally that's the easiest way to figure it out. Right. You you touched on something that I I've been I've been adamant about for years. It's sometimes hard with a large band. So I like I said the band is an eleven piece band. Mm-hmm. Everybody is absolutely assassins on their instruments incredible Mm -hmm. musicians and everybody's trying to impress each other play musical jokes funny trying to get little laughs whatever 
The one thing that sometimes bothers me with the band, with being such a large band, there's a lot of people to distract and a lot of people to be distracted. Mm-hmm. The one thing that really bothers me on sessions in general, it's not just my band. <laughs> I love my band. I, I, I put up with a fair amount of this, but sure. if there's one nitpicky thing I could say, please stop doing this, <laughs> uh, which they'll have to watch, watch this to, yeah. to hear. No, I'll tell them. I've, I've yeah. had this conversation, but it just sticks sometimes and doesn't. Yeah. Like If you're recording a ballad between takes two and three, don't start dicking around and playing something that's totally out of the vibe because then it it all of a sudden oh now this person's out of the ballad vibe and now i'm out of the ballad vibe yeah and now all of a sudden like ah i mean this like like we were just playing a ballad and you're literally like dicking around playing a metallica song yeah it's like i love metallica i love metallica songs but like now it's just not the time now now is not the time to do this i just need or you know some uh theme song from the 1950s or something it's like oh it gets some laughs because like i said a word and then it's like somebody played a riff that has to do with that word it's like funny i gotta give him credit yeah it's great it's clever but it like ah now everybody it's gonna take an extra minute to get back so Mm -hmm. sometimes there's some of those little etiquette things but the bigger Mm -hmm. etiquette things you've pretty much addressed and that's that sort of stuff I, I go through that as a session musician a lot of times. Like, okay, what can I do? I, I think a lot of times you just need to think a service mindset. What can I do to absolutely get this artist's vision across in the most efficient, fastest, and best way possible and the most artistic way possible? Mm. So most of the time that doesn't involve my phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah, if I yeah. were to think of the ideal scenario while we're in focus mode, what 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 probably doesn't exist in that ideal? Mm. It, it's maybe some of that stuff. But um, mm-hmm. uh, again, when you're just not in focus mode, it's totally fine, and it's and it's mm-hmm. different. But I think yeah, communication with the artist, producer, that sort of thing. I've I've shown up at sessions and be like, hey. uh should I just keep my phone away for this whole thing? Like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you can, you can mess around. Like, we're going to be messing with stuff, and we can punch in and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Where, where are you at these days uh, in your career with uh, what sessions you take? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it always discussed uh, that you're going to be a feature, this is going to be featuring Corey Wong, or are you still taking sessions as just the faceless guitar player like you used to do? Totally. Everything and in between. Okay. So if somebody's asked me to play on something, normally it's pretty clear if they want it to be a feature, mm-hmm. but um, I have managers now and they just kind of handle those conversations. And it's a different yeah. rate. Rightfully so, if right. I'm a feature on something, or sometimes it'll be uh, a percentage of the back end or something, or mm-hmm. or a combination of the two. Um, but I do also just love doing session work, because mm-hmm. that's part of who I am as a musician. That's what I like mm-hmm. doing also. So sometimes I'll just do session work for people, um, whether it be somebody I know or not. You mm-hmm. know, And a lot of my friends, I'll just, I'll literally just play on my friends' albums and not really care about the money side yeah um shouldn't say it's that been a- i shouldn't say that publicly but <laughs> but, I know, but then also it's like yeah. yeah i don't know i don't know this person um 
My rate's kind of high for you, I think. And then they might be like, oh, no, no. Like, I'm a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. And I I, I actually invented the medicine and totally overcharge. So (laughs) it doesn't matter what your price is. I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad you revealed that up front. And um, and sometimes yeah. and and honestly, like I'm not I'm not a famous person. Like I'm niche. Mm-hmm. I'm well known niche wise, maybe. But so also, I can't expect that everybody really knows who I am. Like somebody right. recommended me to be the session guitar player for this great session, and the mm-hmm. pharmacist guy uh, and his wife they were doing it. He it was his album. And she was uh, the bass player, but she was kind of featured on some stuff. I, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just like, hey, we want you to come play guitar. And they didn't know who I was mm-hmm. as far as like sure. a, a brand or whatever. And, and I don't sure. always expect people to, you know, it's, sure. that's, that's absurd. So um, they had a great budget and that was nice. But it's yeah. also like compared to talking to Lukather and and Larry Carlton and stuff like what I what we're making now on sessions is not even remotely uh what cats were making in other eras. Mostly because of union sessions and right. residuals and some of that sort of stuff. It's like, dang. Yeah. These cats you know, you you understand why a lot of those old cats are jaded. Yeah. <laughs> not all of them not all of yeah. them of course yeah. of course yeah um but then other times like you know somebody will call me and the singer says hey uh i just recently this this girl said hey i i love the way you play guitar um i don't have a lot of money but i think you might be perfect for this track and here's here's this song or whatever they they emailed my manager my manager mm-hmm. said hey you know normally you know, this is below your this is below your rate or whatever, and right. she literally can't afford it. Um, what do you want us to do? I said, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, just send." I want to hear the song. Mm-hmm. I thought she was incredible, great, mm-hmm. great artist. I said, "Yeah, whatever." Like, I love the song. I really believe in what she's doing. I think she's wonderful. If this is like something that she thinks will absolutely make her out her her song crush a hundred percent or more of what she wants i'll do it and mm-hmm. and granted you know if i really like the song and believe in the artist you'll do a lot oh yep. you have a great you have a great article on the the hang the money the artistry yeah i was thing. gonna and, say and, it's the the yeah, perfect it's, 30 it's, i call yeah, it and it's like it's a, it's this it's this equation and it's uh money so each each category is worth 10 points and it's it's the money it's uh, the enjoyment and career development, and it's kind of uh, if they when you add up the points for each of them, they should they should equal at least a fifteen. Yeah. And if they're below a fifteen, so you know if the enjoyment's ten and but the money's a little bit low, it's like a two or a three, and the career development's like yeah two or three. It's like all right, we'll take it. It's like fifteen, but it's like yeah. enjoyment's going to be like a two. That money better be a ten, you know. Yeah. And uh, right, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm familiar, I'm dude. You remember that yeah right all right no yeah. and, and that's i mean that's um yeah. i didn't remember exactly what the scoring system was but i i yeah. think that's something you know in most areas of life i think some people in professional settings people can apply that mm-hmm. sort of thing not just i'm curious about um 
you, you mentioned this at the very beginning, uh, when your pay structure for your musicians, for your freelancers, mm-hmm. you're saying it's a work for hire and that's what they want. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, uh, in with Wolfpack, doesn't Jack uh, just kind of cut everybody into the back end of whoever plays on the track and just like whatever that track makes, whether you played percussion on it whether you're the singer or whether you're whomever singing background yeah. uh you're all getting cut on the back end uh I, i'd never heard any record done yeah, that way totally. before it's uh, amazing. so so tell me step me through the the just because i think we're you're independent you can do whatever you want you're a band leader it, you make the rules uh yeah what's the thought process in going how to pay your musicians based on where you've come from what you've experienced and uh why you chose this route the, uh, the, the structure is a lot different and the expectation is a lot different uh, on my situation as opposed to Wolfpack. You're absolutely right in what you've heard. Um, for example, yeah, like if anybody who played on the Beautiful Game album mm-hmm. is an equal cut for the royalties. So mm-hmm. um, Bethany, who played trombone on one of the songs makes the say on Aunt Leslie. Aunt Leslie. Mm-hmm. Aunt Leslie, how are you? <laughs> Depending on what part of the country you're from. Uh she <laughs> makes the exact same amount of money as I do or Joe Dart or Jack mm-hmm. uh from those royalties. It's pretty cool. Jack's just made that like any uh, you know Chris Thiele makes the same amount of money as any of us for the Live at Madison Square Garden album. Because he played wow. on the album, mm-hmm. you know, he guested on the song, um, and yeah, that's how Jack does it. It works great. It's a band format. None of us are expected are expected to be paid up front, and you know, each person puts in a different level of work, and that's totally fine. Like I think, mm-hmm. um, well, I guess in some cases, some people are are paid up front, and then it's you know recouped, and then whatever. Like some mm-hmm. people that aren't. Like well, when you got these the older session like, cats, like uh, yeah, like Gadsden or yeah, James or Gadsden or yeah. yeah, right, okay. David I, I was wondering about him. I see him on a track. I'm like, okay, this is Bill Withers, former drummer, and he's played with everybody and has and has been around the block, and he's probably in his 80s at this yeah, yeah, point, yeah. 70s, 80s. It's like, yeah. is he going to understand the back end situation thing? But yeah, yeah, and totally. And and if people are if people want to have some sense of balance, like that's what we did with the Fearless Flyers albums, mm. like we um. We just paid ourselves three grand each for the session. Okay. And then we're all an equal split afterwards. Mm. So it's like um, Wolf Records, we had some some budget, some like album budget, you know. And like so for the last Fearless Flyers album, I produced the album, put the budget together, went through it with Jack. It was just like, all right, let's just pay everybody three grand up front. Mm-hmm. And then we'll all split the royalty on the back end evenly. You know, like I don't make any more as producer. Jack doesn't make any more as mixing engineer and I guess co-producing also and mm-hmm. um, uh, doing the videos and stuff and doing all the social media and setting all that stuff up. It just mm-hmm. works. Like all of mm-hmm. us live a pretty modest lifestyle, you know, and... Mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so that works that way. As far as the way that I do things, I don't think, you know, if I'm going to spend 
you know, so for me, if if with my band, what do I cut the percentage on? If I if I'm doing it similar, like okay, everybody's gonna make an equal cut of the album after expenses. I don't know. Does everybody in the band trust my gut on the expenses? And it's not actually like also a band thing. It's Corey right. Wong, so it's right. you know that I have a lot more to lose. I have a lot more to gain. It's a mm-hmm. little bit different. You know, so I've considered making and that. You're an making op. the investment up front. You're, yeah, yeah, you're like paying for everything. Yeah, right? yeah, and of course, like I would recoup, and then people would make the royalties. But right, you know how hard it is to make a hundred thousand dollars back on an album right. today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm. Uh, <laughs> you'd, yeah, you you know yeah. exactly what I'm saying. And yeah. most people who listen to your podcast and follow you mm-hmm. in general, they're in the industry. They understand. So. Yeah. Um. Also, side note, I just, you got to be my sync guy. That's what I need. I need you. I need the. Right. I need. I need the Ari's take team to just be my sync team. All right. Well, we'll how talk. about that? We're, I, we're, <laughs> like, we're I literally. Like, uh, yeah. I made zero dollars. Oh my gosh. Oh, we. I could get you a sync agent in a in a heartbeat if you if you want if you really want if you really want to do some sync. Dude. I'm like literally talking to sync agents every day right now because one of because of are. our sync yeah. course. We're, I know. That's, that's our big thing is we're putting people like make me your case study. Day. Okay, from zero to, <laughs> right, from deal. zero to hero in one year with Ari's take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, deal, deal. So um, that's the thing. Like, if I had yeah. a great sync, that would help right. solve all of this. But again, yeah. like, I'm I'm not necessarily trying to play checkers with this entire thing. I know it's yeah. not just like one move is one move. So mm-hmm. with the the album and the videos, like. And, you know, being able to, so I, vinyl, and then it also gets people more excited about the live show. So I will be able to sell more tickets because, sure. like, people can see this show live. And yeah. there's a, a more of a sense of that. But then also, like, oh, yeah, next time, like, if they give John Krasinski or whatever the next late show or the late, late show mm-hmm. for his Some Good News show that CBS maybe bought or something, or some network oh, okay. bought it. It's like, sure. ah, does he need a band? Well, who's who should be the band leader? I don't know. It's not like an it's not a the type of gig you audition for, but right. this in some ways it's like an audition tape. You know, it's one oh, sure. it's one way for me to have a little bit of that to play some chess. Mm. You know, it's an it's somewhat of an audition reel for a lot of different things beyond just being an asset on its own, beyond the biggest thing which is just an artistic expression, this creative idea that I had that I wanted to bring to life. I know that it's not just that sort of thing. So that's the other reason why it's like, if it were a percentage thing, I don't know. My band just wants to get paid for their week of work. So th- this is, I was having this conversation with a, a bass player. He's in Nashville and, you know, he's a freelancer and he's, he's linked up. I'll, I'll call him. I mean, he, he'd be happy. Uh, Nick Beard and he, he's the basis for Jamestown revival. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were talking about this and, and, it's like almost an ethical conversation when it's like, uh, you know, I, I was um, these musicians who sure they're they're employed when the band is on tour and they're doing really well. And, and some of them, you know, are making six figures uh, when the band is, is touring and then the band stops touring for years and years and years and they can live off their record royalties. And now these musicians are almost back to square one struggling. Mm-hmm. Is it fair 
that they're not getting cut in on the success of the record. Maybe a guitar riff made the song, you know, what it is. And that's the thing that everybody is singing along to. And that guitar player made a few hundred bucks for the session and that's it. And they're never getting compensated again. And now they're struggling. They're in their 50s. They're in their 60s. And they're struggling to get by. I don't know. I mean, it's never it's 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 not typically done that way, but I wonder if it it should be uh, more than just the 5% what they'll make on the digital radio royalties from the fund, from the SAG after AFM fund. Um, you know, I've thought about implementing uh, 20% of, of all master royalties are split amongst the musicians who played on the session. Mm-hmm. And if anything, ha- after recoupment, after expenses are recouped. Um, yeah. And if it turns into anything... They, they, you know, join in the success of it. And oftentimes the records don't recoup uh, and that's fine. But and they get paid for the session up front as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't have the answer, but I, I, I don't know if it's fair that Taylor Swift is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and her, her drummer, uh, you know, is going to be scraping by if she doesn't bring him on tour. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> but you're, but you, but you are the man in charge who can make these decisions, and yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm not advocating one way or another. I, I think it's an interesting conversation, and as someone who has been a freelancer and now a band leader, I, I'm curious your thought process. So my it. thought process in that is that I just don't have anything right now. If I'm being completely honest, mm-hmm. the I'm not making crap tons of money on my albums. Sure. So, I mean, do the math. Look, I mean, anybody anybody who, who can pull up a Spotify calculator and my entire catalog and right. then kind of like retrograde that or whatever the right word is across mm-hmm. all the streaming platforms by popularity. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, you know, Apple Music is like 80% of what Spotify is and titles like 30% and yeah. whatever is 3% of that. Like sure. expand however you want to do the math. Right. It's just not enticing for my band. Like I don't have anything enticing. It that would be a way better deal for me right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like okay, so how many streams? No, a both a both deal. It would be both. It'd yeah, be yeah. Like, okay, yeah. A both paid, deal would be yeah, yeah, yeah. For the session, and then if the song turns into a massive hit that generations to come yeah, are, yeah, are yeah. playing, then you this is your retirement. This is your kids, you know, nest egg more or less. Yes, yeah, totally. But so a both and that totally would work. Yeah. Um Yeah. I think I think <laughs> I think uh what I've thought about doing is just offering just trying to find what the right number could be if it's like okay. Full transparency to the band. Here's the budget on the album. Yep. Here's what everybody's getting paid. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And you can either get paid your session rate or if I and my managers are projecting correctly, here's where that break-even point would probably be, mm. and here's at at this percent or at this percent or whatever. Mm-hmm. You have the choice to either get your session fee or to have three percent of the album mm-hmm. royalties. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I own the master, but you get three percent of whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I, I like your idea of having 20% get split between between the band. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it. I think for artists, they need to find some sort of incentive, aka mm-hmm. no upfront on that side of it. Or, I, yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I don't know I, what it is. Like, it's hard it's, enough to yeah. like, dude. I'm literally driving a, an old car, right, right, to, right, right. To, in order to like, everybody's like, why do you have? Like my mirror is taped on the car. <laughs> Not that it has to be. Like I just don't really. Right. I we all value different things. I'm I'm yeah. like I have no sob story to tell here. Yeah. But I'm using my like. Yeah, I don't know. I I just well, and I'm not saying that, it, but that's it, that's the argument of just because if not now, when? Because it's like okay, when you're at when you're making because yeah, some people know, t- would yeah. look, look at you and be like, well, you're making way more than me, and I and like this person. So it's like it's all the different levels, mm-hmm. and so it's like okay, you're not making millions on your royalties a year. Uh, that's very clear. Uh, but like when you are, is that when you flip the switch and have that conversation or do you have that conversation now? And then is it, you know, because unfortunately where we're at is just, you know, most superstars, most stars, most, most label artists that have a massive budget and, and, um, their session cats, their players aren't cut in. Uh, yeah. I mean, if they're label artists, they can't really be, be because that's just not how the, the label system works for them. Um, you know, producers are are cut in, and maybe a mixing engineer will get a couple points on that or something. That, but it's mostly just the the artist and the producer. Um, when you're cutting in players, but it's a different thing because you are the label. You're an independent artist, and yeah, I can uh, decide that. Yeah, you can decide that however you want, and and we all have to decide that. So there there's no right answer. It's just something to. You know, totally. it's like the conversations that to think about how do we want to structure this as the label? Yeah. Um, great question. <laughs> I don't expect great you to come th- up with yeah, your yeah, answer. Yeah, no, I right totally. Now, I think it's just but, something yeah. that, like, yeah, we could. I, I think it's important for for artists to think about. Like, for some mm-hmm. of the larger, like, I played on uh, a Blake Shelton album. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know it. Yeah, he, he right. couldn't care less. You know, like he doesn't right. know that I played on his. I played on a Ford, Ford, Florida Georgia Line song. Nobody wow. would have expected me to play on their album, and they couldn't <laughs> care less that it's me. That yeah. you know, that eight hundred bucks or whatever it was was nice, mm-hmm. right, and I'm totally right. content with that. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I, 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 I don't know. So I I go back yeah. and forth with that. I think in some degree, it's like a lot of artists have to consider so many different things. Um, for me, I want to make sure at least right now people feel like they're really taken care of. Mm. And, you know, I think with some things, you put such an investment into them, you want to have every possible way that it's going to recoup in the next five years or whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And and great, like what I, I think it's okay for people to talk about. Like I'm totally fine talking about any numbers with my career. Sure. I don't mind doing that. I think it's actually important yeah. uh, that people know. Like I think some there could be um, misconception on both sides of it. People think I'm making billions of dollars, and people thinking that I'm making nothing. Yeah, you know. So, I, and I appreciate your your uh, candor and transparency with the numbers, and I think everybody appreciates that because sure. so many people are very guarded with that, and and it's helpful to know and and to hear the thought process behind it. Um, 
this has been incredible. It, it just like went, it sped so quickly. <laughs> we're way over time. Um, I'm going to ask you my, my final question that I ask sure. everybody who comes on the show. And we're going to cut it there. Um, and I have like 50 other questions that I never got to, but this was a great conversation. We'll I'm do very a part two. We'll do a part great. two. We'll do a part two. Fantastic. Um, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? It means that I can live out what I feel is my true calling in life in a way that's artistically satisfying, but also a way that validates art as a career. Mm. And in the sense of making it, uh, it's really nice to be able to help support other people's calling as well, to be able to help other people um, financially, like having a band that I can pay regularly, mm. having, you know, even even the crew and the, the managers, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people that are, are made to do a specific thing for me to be able to help facilitate that. It's pretty incredible, yeah. you know, and yeah. what it means to make it I don't know what it is nowadays, but what it means for me, as far as like that interpretation of it, it's um, it means the world because there is uh, a lot of there's a there's there's, a, there's the trope of the starving artist, and then there's the trope of the insanely rich and famous artist, and often the in between doesn't get talked about, mm-hmm. and there's such a a dynamic range of that in between mm-hmm. that it's um it's nice to be part of that in between you know i remember freaking making 50 dollars per gig for 7 years straight yeah and now and and you know what i felt like i was making it just as much as i feel like i'm making it now wow because it's never really been about it's never been all about the money side of things Granted, I've grown and I've had more responsibility and now I have children and I have more um, more that that is asked of me, you know, mm-hmm. more does that more than is required of me mm-hmm. um, in financial burden or whatever, basically yeah. being responsible for other human beings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, that being said, uh, it's always, you know, like, I, I don't know. I think everybody's idea of what it means to make it like what it takes to make it, what the threshold is of making it, and what it means to somebody personally making it. Those are all three different things. So um, in, in, in an objective way, I totally have made it. And that's mm. incredible. Like, you yeah. know, part of me is like, oh, no, I haven't made it. You know, it's like, no, no, no. I have objectively made it. Mm. You know, like there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. I've had a successful music career. And... I, you know, every big long-term decision that I make is so I can continue to to have that. And I'm absolutely grateful, blessed with that. So now it's being a good steward of it. Corey Wong, wise words. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is great. Thanks for having me. We'll, we'll do it again. The 49 other questions you have, I will Let's answer. It. <laughs> we'll, we'll hang. It's always fun hanging. Amazing.
episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. 